So good morning, Eastside family. We want to let our children ages three through third grade make their way in that direction to junior worship. And if you're new here, and we have a number of new people I don't recognize, um, just follow the adults who are going in that direction if you have children that age. The rest of you that are staying in here, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's where we're going to be this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to, as we do every Sunday, remind you of a very important part of our worship to God, and that is the offering that we bring to God, and we so appreciate your faithfulness in that. And so we provide four ways for you to give your offering. You can mail a check to the church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank. You can go online to our website. There's a box on our homepage. Click give, follow the easy instructions. Or if you're here in person, you can drop off your contribution at the table there in the middle of the auditorium on your way out. And I know that I say those exact things every Sunday. I could probably say them in my sleep. But that is so important. It's, a, it's an important ritual. It's an important part of our worship. You can't miss that in Scripture. Now, I, I spoke to those of you who are here in person, but I also want to say to those of you who are live streaming with us, we are humbled and honored that you took time to be with us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34 Last week was a fun sermon to preach. It was easy to understand, at least I hope it was. Today you're going to have to think. This is going to be some complicated stuff, but I, I'm certain it's in the Bible that God wants us to see it. It's very important. Maybe you noticed for the past 70 weeks, or maybe you didn't notice, but for the past seven weeks, our shepherds have led our thoughts in preparation for communion each Sunday for seven weeks. And it was their decision to do this because they felt as though our communion service to some degree had kind of drifted in a direction other than they felt like what we really wanted to see in our assemblies. And as a matter of fact, uh, some of you had even shared this with them. The same sentiments. And so I love their leadership. They listened. They prayed about that. And they responded accordingly with some direction and focus they wanted to provide with the Lord's Supper. And so in connection with all of that, you would say perhaps for the purpose of a reminder and maybe also for kind of helping realign us more to the biblical sense of what God intends for communion to be, we're going to spend four Sundays looking at the topic of the Lord's Supper in Scripture and each of these lessons are going to be a talk leading us up to sharing and communion together. That's why we haven't had it yet. And so the passage that we're going to look at today, we're actually going to look at it for two Sundays. It's probably the one passage that gives the, the clearest and most direct instructions on our time of communion service it's here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and, and so before we get started I got a couple of, of, of practical things to mention those of you that are live streaming with us at the end of what I'm going to share I'm going to invite everybody that's here in person to to take the emblems of the bread and the cup together and so I want to encourage you um, if you don't have them ready to to get those emblems ready we really would love for you to participate with us also as a very 
practical application that relates to the Lord's Supper, we are actually in need of people to help with setting out these tables and these cups and these trays and getting everything set out before a church on Sunday mornings. We just we need someone to be in charge of that. We need a team for that. We don't need you to put together the juice and the cup, uh, the bread on the trays. That's already done. But we need somebody to take care of that. And so if you would be interested in doing that, please let me know. You're not allowed to let Sarah know today. Today she is celebrating her baby shower today. So no business going in her direction, all right? Let me know or let her know tomorrow via email that you'd be interested. It is a wonderful, it's a very important aspect. It's really not that complicated of a service, although I don't want to say that because even if it were, we should be willing to step up and make the sacrifice. As a matter of fact, the Wymans are a wonderful family live streaming with us today. They're at home, all very sick. They texted me today and they're usually in charge of putting all this stuff away. So we need someone to put this stuff away today because if someone doesn't come up and volunteer, let me know you'll do it and I'll tell you how to do it if you haven't done it before. Typically, if it doesn't get done by that someone, Jordan and Sarah are just, it's not her job, it's not on her job description, but that's in her heart and his heart, they're servants. So they have a very conscientious spirit. But we're not letting them do that today. Today is the day of their baby shower. So Jordan and Sarah, if you do that today, we will cancel the shower, all right? So is that what y'all want? If you don't want to go to the shower, let's just, all right? And for those of you that are new here, if you're sitting next to one of them, would you lean over and say, he's kind of weird like that. He's sarcastic. That's not really serious. I come up with stuff like that all the time. First Corinthians chapter 11. Let's look at this passage that's giving us instructions on the Lord's Supper, verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. So just hear that. I just don't like this. Why are you coming? It's, it, can you imagine hearing that from God through the Holy Spirit? This is doing more harm than good. Now, I think it's important to understand that the Apostle Paul wasn't thinking, okay, uh, I'll write this letter and I'm going to write about instructions to the Lord's Supper. Everybody needs to know about that. It's important to understand that Paul is correcting a problem, that the Lord's Supper had evolved into a perversion of something that God had never intended for it to be. And so the Holy Spirit guided Paul to write these things. As a matter of fact, when you read 1 Corinthians, you'll notice that Paul must have a little list. And he's just going, you got this problem, we need to deal with this. And he's just working through a list of various problems with the church in Corinth that he had been made aware of. And one of those problems was the manner in which they were approaching the Lord's Supper. And so you, get it. you have to notice this. The very fact that the Holy Spirit guided Paul to write this to give us these instructions shows us this is a big deal to God. So what I want us to do in order to better understand what's being said here as far as what the purpose of the Lord's Supper is and what its manner it is, today we're just going to do one thing in this passage primarily is we're going to identify the problems with the Lord's Supper that he is correcting. Because you can't really figure out what the solutions are if you don't first know what the problems are. So today, we're going to work through, it's going to be kind of negative, it's going to be heavy actually, what the problems were 
here in the church in Corinth that made God say, this is not it at all. Then next week we'll come back to this very same passage and we'll identify the solutions. And the whole idea is to take what we do week after week after week and to, to make it more meaningful, hopefully, and make it, mean, and make it be all that God intends for it to be. What were the problems? Let's keep reading. Chapter 11, verses 18 through 22. Follow along with me on your phones or in your old-fashioned Bibles. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, listen to this. It's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Absolutely, certainly not. So Paul is not happy. What's the problem? It's not complicated. There were divisions in the church. There was a lack of unity. Read the whole letter. They weren't treating one another very lovely, very, very lovingly. In chapter 1, he starts out, there are divisions in this church. And it carries its way all the way through this letter. Primarily here, he's speaking of division. Or you could even call it segregation that was socioeconomic in the sense that it was between the rich and the poor. And so one thing that this church was doing that was good is they were following the example of Jesus as he, you might call it, instituted the Lord's Supper. We'll look at this passage in three weeks in, in the book of Mark. It was a meal in a home around a table. And so this church like all the churches were doing, they were having the Lord's Supper as part of a meal that they shared together. And it's almost certainly most all of these were in house churches. And it was at a table. And by this time when Paul is writing this letter, they called these meals a love feast. And it was something like um, our modern day potluck. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem was the wealthier members of the church were bringing all kinds of nice, elaborate foods and their adult beverages to go along with that. And the poor, and, and you understand the poor, a lot of these poor were slaves in the community. The poor were coming with their meager contributions of food for this potluck meal. But before they got there, the well-off members had already selfishly gorged on all the best food, and they had even become drunk. And this is church. And so it's kind of like, you know, you've got that one person at, at every potluck meal who always seems to make their way to the front of the line first to get the biggest and nicest pieces of fried chicken. Well, we're going to see later in this passage that being first in line at a potluck is actually an honor that's given exclusively to the preaching minister at each church. You just got to know the Greek to understand that. <laughs> or maybe we won't see that in this passage so you see what's going on for the, for the poor in the church at a time when this was likely the best meal they were going to get because when you were poor back then it was pretty rough especially even more so 
if you were a slave and they came to their fellowship and they had been skipped over, they had been left out, they had been disregarded, or as Paul says, they had been despised and humiliated. That's how they were treating these people. And they left hungry. And so, somewhere in the, the middle of this church service, characterized by selfish, gluttonous stuffing of their of their pie holes. That's just the word that fits there. I think if Paul had that word, he would have used a stuffing of their mouths. Somewhere in the middle of this was the Lord's Supper. And some of them were coming back for more than just seconds with the wine. And Paul tells them, are you kidding? This is church? This is the Lord's Supper? So, so think about this. We may think we're doing church. It's possible. We may think, and we are going through the ritual every Sunday of having the Lord's Supper, but God may not even consider this pleasing as a Lord's Supper at all. Read on, verse 23. This is the most popular passage in this larger context. For I received from the Lord, but I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, next week, when we look at the solutions, we're going to really camp out here because this is where a lot of the solutions are. So I'm trying to be negative this morning, so I'm only going to bring up two things here as far as identifying the problems or the, the serious nature of the Lord's Supper. I first of all want you to notice that he states, for I received from the Lord. We need to understand that the instructions on the purpose of the manner of the Lord's Supper the manner in which we should approach it, this is given to us by the Lord. God wants us to understand this. This is important to God. And this is really interesting because, you know, our man-made traditions have evolved into a religion with all kinds of rules and regulations about how this time right here is supposed to go. When in truth, there's not a lot written about how we're supposed to do this assembly. But that's not true with the Lord's Supper. At the beginning of this passage, in verse 17, he uses the word in the following directives. I believe that's the word directives. And then at the end of this conversation about the Lord's Supper, in verse 34, he uses the word directions. With the Lord's Supper, God has given us directions. That's the first thing I want you to see here. We'll look further into this later. But also in verses 23 through 26, what Paul is doing is he's reminding the Christians of the death of Jesus on the cross at the time of the Lord's Supper, which is symbolized by the bread and the cup. And I believe the reason he's reminding them of this is because they had lost sight of it in their gatherings. They'd lost sight of the core purpose of the Lord's Supper, and God wanted them to be reminded of that. Verse 27 so then, whenever, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bre- eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so you keep reading, it's like questions, a ton of questions are going to come up. And once I answer this question, it leads me to another question, which leads me to another question. Let me show you. My first question is, oh my goodness, what does it mean to eat the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy manner? I don't want to do that. I mean, I think there are probably many answers that we could give to it, but I'll tell you the best answer is the answer that the text gives us, because it does. So let's let God answer that question. And first of all, before we do that, I want to help you understand or remind you what it doesn't say. He's speaking here of an unworthy manner in which we take the Lord's Supper. He doesn't say whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup unworthily. He doesn't say this. This is not about whether or not you are worthy before God to take the Lord's Supper. If it is, no one gets to take it today. We take it because we are not worthy and we fall to our knees in thanksgiving for his forgiveness. In a future lesson, we're going to see, I believe it's going to be in two weeks in the Gospels, you find Jesus constantly at a table dining with unworthy sinners just like you and just like me. This is one of the reasons why I am an advocate for an open communion and not just certain ones who have been baptized. So what does it mean, if it doesn't mean to not take it unworthily, what does it mean we shouldn't take it in an unworthy manner? That's our question. Well, he tells us in verse 29, I believe, it means to eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ. What does that mean? A lot of questions. What is he referring to when he says, okay, when you do what we're getting ready to do, I want you to discern the body of Christ. What are you talking about? What body are you referring to? And you might think, well, Eddie, is that not obvious? No, it's not necessarily obvious. If you read this passage, there's two bodies in this context. Is, is he speaking here of the body of Christ, the physical body of Christ given on the cross? Or is he speaking to what we know of as the church that is also identified as the body of Christ? And I believe the answer to that question is yes. He's referring to both. Let me show you what I mean by that. In verse 24, he just got through speaking of Jesus' physical body given on the cross, symbolized by the bread. That's an intended focus of the Lord's Supper. So clearly discerning the body of Christ, one aspect of this is in the context, the body of Jesus. But then you keep reading, there were no chapter divisions in the original text. There's no, and now chapter 12, it doesn't move on like that. A few verses later in chapter 12, what is the body referred to there? It's referred to as the church. And then I zoom out a little bit from this larger context and I see Do you remember we talked about the problem that he's correcting here is a division and segregation in the church. Specifically happening with the Lord's Supper as the rich were demeaning and abusing the poor within the body of Christ. So the body of Christ, the church, well that's a main theme here also. I told you you have to think a little bit this time. 
Their mistreatment of others in the body of the church during the partaking of the Lord's Supper was their way of not discerning the body of Christ. And because this was happening during the Lord's Supper, it was a, it was a, a not discerning the physical body of Christ and the emblems they were taking. It was a mocking and desecrating of his body. Their Lord's Supper was a put-down of the church body, which was in turn a put-down of the very thing that was being symbolized, Jesus' body on the cross. Both of them were at play. I hope you understood that. Verse 29. Therefore, those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. It's like, good grief. <laughs> what is that? I don't, I don't want to do that. The word judgment here is not a word that's being used to say a reference to damnation to hell. So do not read into this God saying, y'all aren't taking the Lord's Supper correctly, you're all damned to hell. That's not what God is saying. You didn't drink all the juice in the cup and it says drink ye all of it, damned to hell. You're supposed to think of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, you're thinking about lunch in a football game, you're damned to hell. That is not what this passage is referring to. Some read that into it. It does mean, and this is, this, is, this is heavy, all right? It does mean that those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, in some way they're going to face the discipline, and I would call chastisement, of God. But that's not damnation to hell. And this passage is going to make that distinction in a couple of verses, and I'll show that to you. So the next question, well, what are you talking about? What do you mean here by judgment, discipline, or chastisement? Well, he gives us an example in verse 30. Look at this. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now, this doesn't mean fallen asleep during a sermon. Fall, fallen asleep here means this is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have died. Why not pick another text? What, what do you do with that? Why would you even say this in church? What, what in the world does this mean? I think the reason we ask that is because we're not comfortable with what it says. It could actually mean exactly what it says we can dance around this all we want to to soften it and you can disagree with me here but here I believe that God is saying that he was that Paul is writing that God was punishing Christians in the church for their misuse and perversion of the Lord's Supper with sickness weakness and death and that's kind of hard that's kind of hard but that's not unusual, biblically speaking. Read Genesis to Revelation. A number of times, God used sickness and death as a way of chastisement and discipline upon his people. 
Not necessarily damnation that we're reading here. You know, the, a lot of you know the story in Acts chapter 5. It was an act of worship. We talk about the offering and how serious this was. You know the story. Ananias and Sapphira are bringing as an act of worship their offering to the Lord. But it was, it was showing, they were showing contempt to the Holy Spirit by their deception with the offering that they brought to the church. And there in the middle of it all, they dropped dead. Not a happy thought. And again, I do not believe this is God damning them to hell, but it was clearly a form of discipline in the church to awaken the church to the sacredness by which we are to approach God in our worship. As a matter of fact, after Ananias died right there in front of all the people, it says, and great fear seized the whole church. We are to approach God with a holy and reverent fear. So this is getting uncomfortable. Let's finish it, because Paul does. Verse 31. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, taking each other into consideration in this gathering, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, that means when God is disciplining us. This is another verse I was telling you about that shows the distinction between God's discipline and like eternal punishment. When we are judged by, in this way by the Lord, meaning disciplined by Him, we are being disciplined. Why? So that we will not be finally condemned with the world that's condemnation his punishment his chastisement upon the church was his way of helping them avoid the final condemnation with the world that's what it says here it's kind of like parents they are punishing their children because they love them and care for them or trying to awaken them from further danger of the destructive path that they are on so then, verse 33, and this is where he's wrapping up this passage. My brothers and sisters, when you gather together, you should all eat together. We'll talk more about that next week. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions that sounds like my mom. And when your dad gets home, you know, I, I, oh, we can't wait till Paul gets here. He's upset and we're going to see him in person. So now that we've identified the problems in the church in Corinth, next week we're going to come back to this passage and we're going to say, okay, great. You've told us what's wrong. What's right? What are the solutions? Well, it's 1056. I don't have time to go into that. That's part two next week. What I would encourage you to do Read this passage again on your own. Look for the solutions. Or in your life groups. I've given that to you as an assignment. Read through this. Talk about these problems. But then identify the solutions. And if you want to help me in preparing next week's lesson. As individuals as a life group. Email me the solutions that you come up with. What I really want to do now as we start preparing to head our way towards communion is ask ourselves what does this mean for us as we approach the Lord's table today and in the future. I'm going to give you my take home. Okay, from this passage. Whatever this means, and however you grapple with some of these hard statements here, I think one thing is crystal clear. The Lord's Supper is to God very sacred. And it should be approached with sacredness. I hear that. 
And by sacredness, I mean with reverence and seriousness and holiness. Do not treat this lightly nor with indifference. Do not treat this as just a regular ritualistic motion that I go through without any thought or focus. I mean, that can happen. That's the first take home. This is sacred. But secondly, I would say, and this is me kind of giving you a sneak peek into what we'll look at next week. I believe it's clear here that as we take the Lord's Supper, we are to discern. In this moment, we are to discern the body, the Lord's body, which I believe means two things. First of all, to have a focused, undistracted attention to the body of Christ and His blood shed on the cross, symbolized by the bread and the cup. In communion, in this moment, we are invited to commune with Christ. He is the host in this moment. And that could be a prayer of thanksgiving for His sacrifice it could be a prayer of confession. It could be a prayer of rededicating your life to God. Or if you're here and this is all new to us, it could be a prayer of God, I'm on this journey, help me further. We invite you to the table. It is a communion with Christ. It is discerning His body. But secondly, as we take the Lord's Supper, we are to discern, it's very clear here, this. The Lord's body. The church. We commune with Christ in this moment, but we also commune with one another. That means we shouldn't ignore one another. It means to take this together as a display of unity. What does that look like? Maybe it means you would pray with someone. Maybe you could reach out to one of our shepherds. They will be available during this time when we get up and, and take communion together. Whatever conversations we have, they should be guided with reverence, seriousness, holiness, and care for how the others here are doing. In this moment, it's a time to ask, is there someone here that, that needs my encouragement? In this time, it's a time to ask, is there someone here in the body of Christ that I'm at odds with, that I'm actually a cause of division in this church that I need to go to and reconcile with? We discern the body of Christ his body, and we discern the body of Christ, his church, in this moment. So with these thoughts in mind, you see the tables. We have the bread and the cup available on the tables. For those of that want to go to the tables, we also have our communion kits available at these two tables in the center. For those of you that prefer to remain seated um, where you are, I would ask that you would stand together as we go into this time of communion. I'm going to start us out with a prayer, but I'm not going to say amen at the end of the prayer because I want the prayerful spirit to continue after my words of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge your presence here with us now that we stand on holy ground. We acknowledge that we don't invite you here, but you have invited us here. This is your home. You're the host of this meal. So we thank you for these emblems, for this bread and the cup that symbolize your body and your blood. 
that was shed for us for our forgiveness and our salvation. So Father, in this moment, we come to you in reverence to commune with you and with one another. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.